It's 12.33 Alaska Standard Time. It is February the 21st, 2021. That's the day of this message. I, I was going to title it a sarcastic uh, title, but the Holy Spirit checked me and said, don't do that. By the way, I want to recognize a special guest in the room. Guest, Ruthie and Heather. We're getting enough people back in the church that we can put other leadership in charge of ministries downstairs and not burn everybody out, amen, or burn people out. So I, I want to say this. I talked a lot about it on Valentine's Day, but I love Ruthie very much, and I appreciate her because she's had the toughest job in this ministry all of our lives because um, she's always been in another room working with children. She loves children, and Every now and then I get to have her in the sanctuary with me, and that's very exciting for me. I get asked a question quite often, and I think for valid reason, is this the end? Are we in the last days? Isn't that the question? Um, don't ask me anymore about the rapture of the church. I don't know when it's going to happen. Uh, the Bible just teaches us whether it is the last days or the rapture of the church or whatever, we're just supposed to be ready. Amen? I mean, um, the disciples, the last question they wanted to ask Jesus before he left was, basically, are, are these the end times? Or when are we going to see you again? When are you coming back, right? And, and Jesus basically told them what I was going to title this message. I was going to title it, What is Your Business? But what did Jesus say to the disciples? They, they, the end time's none of your business. Isn't that what he said? Only Father knows. Jesus said it's only given to the Father. No one knows. Now I hope today to shed some light on this subject a little bit. Not about when the rapture is going to take place. Forget about that. Just be ready. Amen? And, and, and if you look at all of the messages that were given in the Gospels, and we're given, in the book of Acts, in the first two chapters, you have everything that you need to know about the last days. You need to be, it, you don't know when it's going to come. You need to be ready, right? And on uh, the day of Pentecost, which was the birthday for the church, can you say amen? The Holy Spirit was poured out on 120 people and just shocked the, the known world at that time, Jerusalem. They were there for the Passover. There were hundreds of thousands of visitors in Jerusalem for the Passover. Do you realize that? Do you understand that? And there wasn't a one of them that could not understand the messages that were being spoken by those people from the, hundred, the 120 from that upper room. The Holy Ghost had come across them, and they were speaking of the wonderful things of God. And every nationality, every language heard it in their language, right? And what was their first thought? Well, they're drunk. Peter stands up and says, it's too early in the day for these people to be drunk. Now, what he said, I'm paraphrasing. He said, but this is that that Joel spoke about. That in the last days. So right there, you have the answer. We've been in the last days for over 2,000 years. We've been in the last days for over 2,000 years. Now, I got to thinking about this because people keep asking me, and I got caught up in it. I'm, I want to tell you, the Holy Ghost told me, you better go look at what Jesus said about the last days. 
And you better go look at what Peter said on the day of Pentecost and then look back at Joel and read the book of Joel and find out really what the scoop is on the last days, right? Have you ever wondered why would God keep back something from Jesus and why would Jesus allow Father the honor and the privilege of keeping that back? From him, Why would there be a secret between God and Jesus about the last days, about when the end would come? Have you ever, has it ever crossed your mind? I'm a weird thinker that way. I like to think about these sort of things. And so, so listen to me carefully because I do not want to add anything to the Word of God and I don't want to take anything away from it, but I want to ask you a question. If Peter was led by the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost, to refer back to the prophet Joel, then do you believe that Joel has something to say about the end times? Yeah. Yeah, he does, right? So we're going to take a few minutes today, all right? And if we run just a little bit long, I, I know you're going to be okay with that because we're going to learn something. <clears throat> this title, The Message is the Day of the Lord. The book of Joel falls naturally into two parts. This is what I've learned. The book of Joel falls into two parts. In chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 27, we read about a terrible locust plague that came over Israel as a judgment from God and how the people repented and God restored their fortunes. Now, oh, right away, there's a, there's a bell that goes off my head. Ding, 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 ding. Let me read that comment to you again. In the first half of the book, we read about a terrible locust plague that came over Israel as a judgment from God and how the people repented and God restored their fortunes. Then, in chapter 2, verse 28, to the end of the book, we read about how God, at some future time, is going to pour out His Spirit far and wide to bless His people, and how he's going to gather for judgment the nations which have rejected him and his people. Or, to put it another way, listen carefully. The first half of the book describes how God fought against his own people to make them honor him alone. Did you get that? The first half of the book describes how God fought against his own people to make them honor him alone. And the second half of the book describes how he will fight against the nations who refuse to honor him alone. What I would like to do today is guide you through the whole book in summary style, all right? Then go back and focus on the main messages of the two halves as they apply to us today. First of all, look at the terrible locust plague. Now, think about this in a way, and, and, and if you think I'm stretching, then, then move on. Don't worry about it. You don't have to eat the meat and spit out the bones, right? But how many of you would agree that we have somewhat been under the pl a plague of locusts for the last year? Eating up, harvests, right? Right? I called my, my stepmother the other day because they're going to have this bad storm on the top of everything we've been through. Texas is under attack from snow, right? I said, Mom, have you got enough toilet paper and chicken noodle soup? <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, she goes, there was a rush on at the store, but we've got plenty. <laughs> right? 
Right? Right? What, what, in that human nature, it seems to want to be able to clean things up. Right? They need to have plenty of toilet paper in the house. Right? That's all I have to say about that. Now, now pay attention. So, so it's possible that there's been a locust uh, attack on, on our world in the last year. Right? Think about this with me. Follow along with me. We're going to call that the terrible locust plague. Matter of fact, in your Bible, it just calls it an invasion of locusts. But first of all, let's start with Joel 1.1. Now, I'm going to bounce around a little bit. Forgive me. I'm trying to pack a lot into one message. And you know what? If God, if the Holy Spirit tells me to stop, I'm going to stop. And we'll just pick up next week if Jesus tarries. And if he doesn't tarry, it won't matter. Right? We'll go talk to Joel about it. All right? Look at this with me. I read the verse 1 of Joel chapter 1. It said, The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Um, I thought, well, you know, first of all, I, I want to I educate us. I, I want to find out everything I can about Joel. You're looking at it. You're looking at it, really. The word of the Lord that came to Joel, the son of Pethuel. Now, I have learned something about when the Bible does this. We know almost nothing about this prophet. And that doesn't matter so much in the end because his intention is to be a mouthpiece for God and not himself. I mean, isn't that a powerful lesson to learn about Joel? Amen? In verses 2 and 3, he says that his message should be passed on from generation to generation. Look at it. Hear this, you elders. Give ear. All inhabitants of the land... Has such a thing happened in your days or in the days of your fathers? Has anything happened in the last year that, that you can remember happening before really in your lifetime? Was not this last year really different? Yes. All right? Tell your children of it. And let your children tell their children and their children to another generation. Then in verse 4, he describes the catastrophe of the locust plague. Watch this. What the cutting locust left, the swarming locust has eaten. What the swarming locust left, the hopping locust has eaten. And what the hopping locust has left, the destroying locust has eaten. Wow. The results of this locust plague are utterly devastating. And if you don't understand what this last year has been like for businessmen in this world, you don't understand devastation. And with God's help, we will get through it. But I'm telling you, this nation is going to be feeling it for a long time to come. Verse 5, Awake you drunkards and weep and wail, all you drinkers of wine, because the sweet wine, for it's cut off from your mouth. The other day I walked into an aisle at a grocery store. I wanted me some Del Monte spinach. I like Del Monte spinach. I mean, there's other canned spinaches out there, but I happen to like, you cannot get a can of Del Monte spinach in this state. About six feet away from me, a guy's standing there and shrugging his shoulders. He's not saying nothing. He's, he's shrugging his shoulders. I said, what's missing? He said, well, there was this dip that I like to dip vegetables in. You can't get it. And, and, and I'm probably not the only one that's noticed that the supply chain to this state is greatly damaged. It's greatly damaged. We've digressed in our ability to lay our hands on certain things in this state. Have you noticed that? Well, here, they were going to have a shortage of wine. <laughs> right? And that what it says. Awake, you drunkards, and weep and wail. 
all you drinkers of wine because of sweet wine, for it is cut off from your mouth. Wow. Drop down to verse 7. It has laid waste my vine and splintered my fig tree. It has stripped off their bark and thrown it down. Their branches are made white. Wow. Um, drop down to verse 9. The grain offering and the drink offering are cut off from the house of the Lord. The priests mourn the ministers of the Lord. Things were so bad that they could not even provide enough grain for a grain offering in the temple or a drink offering in the house of the Lord. That's how bad it was, right? Talking to my family down in Texas, and right now it's pretty hit pretty hard because they got an independent energy grid in Texas. They can't get energy from other states and other places. very difficult for them. And um, my sister was telling me that uh, you, go, you, you waited in line for hours to get in the store only to find out there's nothing in there. I mean, that, that, that's uh, like it, it looked like it had been hit by a bunch of locusts. Drop down to verse 13 with me. So what happened? Joel calls for Israel to cry to the Lord because he sees in this catastrophe the judgment of God leading up to the great and terrible day of the Lord. Listen to me. Verse 13, put on sackcloth and lament, O priest. Wail, O ministers of the altar. Go in, pass the night in sackcloth, O ministers of my God, because grain offering and drink offering are withheld from the house of your God. Consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the elders and all the inhabitants of the land to the house of the Lord your God and cry out to the Lord. Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near and as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Folks, what is the Word of God saying here? Later, God refers to that bunch of locusts as an army. He calls it God's army. And it's come against Israel, and what for? And as destruction from the Almighty it comes. Follow now with me a little bit. All right, all right, here's what I'm trying to tell you. How many of you believe God really does know when He's going to turn to Christ and tell Christ to come get us? He knows. He's God, right? But Jesus himself, he's let God have that honor, right? I'm looking at something here in Joel that shocks me to no end. There are two different halves to the story in Joel. The first half is God comes against his very own children. The word itself calls it the last days. Are you listening to me now? And why? Because God's people have not placed Him first in their lives. And what have we said? God always deals with His people first. This is powerful. Because right here it says in verse 15, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is near. The last days, it's close, right here. For these people, right there. Alright? And as destruction from the Almighty it comes, is not the food cut off before our eyes. Joy and gladness from the house our God. The seed shrivels under the clods. The storehouses are desolate. The granaries are torn down because the grain is dried up. How the beasts groan. The herds of cattle are perplexed because there is no pasture for them. Even the flocks of sheep suffer. 
To you, O Lord, I call, for fire has devoured the pastures of the wilderness, and flame has burned all the trees of the field. Even the beasts of the field paint for you because their pant for you because their water brooks are dried up, and the fires devoured the pastures of the wilderness. I said to my brother, or to my son, my oldest son, Are you able to get meat down there? He said, No. He said, There's a problem with the supply chain for beef because they could not water the beef. They could not protect them from the cold, and they could not feed them. So there's a lot of things that, that there are these kinds of attacks on the land that you can't get, right? Now, it was so bad with the locusts, and I had to get back here exactly to the notes. So in verse 13, Joel calls for Israel to cry to the Lord because he sees in this catastrophe the judgment of God leading up to the great and terrible day of the Lord. Yet, it did not come. It didn't come. Didn't happen. How do I know? Look at verse 2, or chapter 2, verse 1. Blow a trumpet in Zion, sound an alarm on my holy mountain, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble. For the day of the Lord is coming, it is near. A day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, like blackness there is spread upon the mountains, a great and powerful people there like has never before been before, nor will again be again after them uh, through the years of all generations. Now what's he talking about? Now the third time here, I'm about to start reading in verse 3 of chapter 2, God describes the army that's come against Israel. It's locusts, right? Fire devours before them, and behind them a flame burns. The land is like a garden of Eden before them, but behind them a desolate wilderness, and nothing escapes them. This is the last days, right? Their appearance is like the appearance of horses, and like war horses they run. These are bugs, all right? As with the rumbling of chariots, they leap on the tops of the mountains like the crackling of a flame of fire, devouring the stubble like a powerful army drawn up for battle. Before them, peoples are in anguish. All faces grow pale like warriors. They charge like soldiers. They scale the wall. They march each on his way. They do not swerve from their paths. They do not jostle one another. Each marches in his path. They burst through the weapons and are not halted. They leap upon the city. They run upon the walls. They climb up into the houses. They enter through the windows like a thief. The earth quakes before them. The heavens tremble. The sun and the moon are darkened. And the stars withdraw their shining. Listen to this now in verse 11. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his camp is exceedingly great. He who executes his word is powerful, for the day of the Lord is great and very awesome. Who can endure it? So now, we've already compared the book of Joel to talking about the last days, and you keep hearing that phrase over and over again here. We know the judgment has come against God's people. We know that the end of days is being talked about here, right? We know that this judgment that's come against Israel, so I'm trying not to leap too far ahead here. I'm trying not to jump too far ahead. But I've come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit told me, stop talking about this being the last days because Jesus wouldn't even tell his disciples what do you think that he's going to tell you not going to happen
Could be the last days. Might not be the last days. You want me to prove it to you? I'm going to prove it to you. Now watch this. Verse 12 of chapter 2. Yet even now. Say that with me. Yet even now. Say it more decisively. Yet even now, declares the Lord. Return to me with all your heart. Now listen to these words and think about them being said to us today. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for He is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and He relents over disaster. Who knows whether He will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind Him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. There's going to come a day when God comes and speaks to His church first in the face of worldly disaster. Do you, do you know why this might not be the last days as far as, you know, a number of days down the road Christ coming back? Because I'm telling you, the people of God, there's a remnant have turned to Him. And they've repented. And they're praying more than they've ever prayed in their lives. And they're studying the Word of God more than they've studied the Word of God in their lives, and more preachings going out over there than ever in the history of mankind. And there's an element of repentance within the body of Christ. So it doesn't have to be the last of the last days yet. It may or it may not. Are you copying? Are you, are you getting this here? Are you getting this? Why would Jesus say, you know, stop asking that question. You know, he, he told them about some things about, you know, um, you know uh, in, in chapter 2, it, this is what happened in the book of Joel after the Holy Ghost came upon them, right? This is this. And, and what was it to do? It was to get them ready to go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples worldwide. That's what we're supposed to be doing. We're supposed to be busy out there seeing the lost get saved, right? And that way, when, when God comes like a thief in the night, He doesn't catch you surprised. There are two working in the field. One gets taken, the other's left behind. Don't worry about when the rapture is going to take place. Be concerned about doing what it takes to be ready when it happens. And whatever you do, don't get in a fight or a fuss about it or a feud. All right? Look again in Joel chapter 2, verse 15 again. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. Why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? And, and the title of this next passage of Scripture here says the Lord had pity. All it's talked about is the last days up to this point. Am I right or wrong? Over and over again, didn't it call it the last days? They were in the last days. They're in the last days. And it changed. God changed. All right, watch. The Lord had pity. When I say God changed, 
It, it's, you know, God can change his mind. He doesn't change, but he can change his mind. Does that make sense to you? Verse 18, then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. The Lord answered and said to his people, Behold, I'm sending to you grain, wine, and oil, and you will be satisfied, and I will no more make you a reproach among the nations. I will remove the northern, northerner far from you and drive him into a parched and desolate land, his vanguard into the eastern sea and his rear guard into the western sea. The stench and foul smell of him will rise. For he has done great things. Fear not, O land. Be glad and rejoice, for the Lord has done great things. Now, why is he saying it to the land? Why is he talking to the land? Because he has attacked the land and it has an effect on his people, right? And now he's, he's repenting. The people have repented. Now God is changing his mind, right? Fear not, you beasts of the field, for the pastures of the wilderness are green. The tree bears its fruit. The fig tree and the vine give their full yield. Be glad, O children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given the early rain for your vindication. He has poured down for you abundant rain, the early and the latter rain as before. The threshing floors shall be full of grain. The vats shall overflow with wine and oil. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust is eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, and the cutter, and my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you. And my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. Listen to me carefully. We've got to go to verse 27 again. What was God's goal in dealing with his people in the end times? You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel, that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. There is no other God but me. That's what was going on? Wow. That's powerful. That is powerful. Chapter 2 begins with another warning that the terrible day of judgment called the day of the Lord is coming and that this locust horde is the dawn of this day of the Lord. It says, let all the inhabitants of the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming. It is near, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness. And then we read verses 3 through 11 already. The Lord utters his voice before his army, for his host is exceedingly great. He that executes his word is powerful. All right, now listen to this. God's purpose in fighting his people. So far then, we learn that God is fighting his people for some reason. Up to this point, we're not exactly sure why, which probably means that Joel intended for us to learn more about God here than about ourselves. God has sent his army of locusts against Israel and threatened that the end is near. He's fighting against his people, but is only destruction in his mind? No. We're reading verses 12 through 14. It tells us about a warrior God. And it says, if they will repent, he will repent. If they will rend their hearts, he will cease to rend their land. So in verses 15 through 17, Joel calls for fasting and priests to pray for God not to make his heritage a byword among the nations. They humbled themselves and appealed to God's jealousy for his chosen people, and he responded, in verse 18, he turned away from judgment, that climactic day of the Lord which had been threatening. 
withdrew into a more distant future described uh, in verses 19 through 27. Now, watch this with me. Verses 25 through 27, I want to read that to you again because you've got to hear this. You've got to know this. I'll restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten, the hopper, the destroyer, the cutter, my great army which I sent among you. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame. You shall know that I am in the midst of Israel and that I am the Lord your God and there is none else. And my people shall never again be put to shame. I don't know if I'm doing a very good job today of painting this picture for you. But what I'm trying to tell you is this could easily be the last days. Maybe not. It has all the earmarks of the last days except one thing. Say, so, well, well, Dennis, there's, I've read Revelation. I've read the book of Daniel. There's a whole lot of signs out there. I agree with you. That's why I've referred to the rapture from time to time. I've referred to the end of times. I've referred to this being the last days until the Holy Spirit began to direct me to what was being said by Jesus just before He ascended to the Father and what was said by Peter on the day of Pentecost, the church's birthday. We've been living in the last days for over 2,000 years. And the close at hand coming of God has been close many times. But, but you know, is that any reason for us to say, oh, well, praise God, it could be 2,000 more years. And the truth of the matter is, it, it could be. Because every time, it seems, in the Word of God, that God comes against His people because they have forgotten Him, and they have misplaced His place in their lives, God has come against them. Why? Because that's dangerous not to put God first. It's dangerous not to put God first. Listen to this. The ultimate aim of God in sending the locust horde against His people is to secure their undivided allegiance. You shall know that I, Yahweh, am your God and there is no one else. Evidently, the cause of the locust plague had been the people's half-hearted allegiance. And where was the church in America when the COVID virus showed up? Coming to church for our 20-minute messages? If, if the church that maybe we liked was a little too far away, we didn't want to drive, we got up on Sunday morning, we didn't feel like it, we didn't go. I mean, look, I understand that there are many causes and reasons at times, but do you understand there are many times when there is no good reason? I mean, just, we just decided to hang out somewhere else. Now, I'll, I'll, I will stand here in this pulpit and tell you it's, it's, it's a big fault of the men and women of God filling the pulpits of this land and not feeding you the Word of God. I mean, do you really want to come to church to pick up what would be spiritually a bag of Doritos? You know? Or, you know, something you don't really enjoy. You don't, doesn't feed you. So it's not just the people in the pews. I'm not hammering on you. I'm hammering on us. Amen? Some of their affections had gone after things other than God. God was not their all-consuming love, so He fought against His own people. Few things are more dishonoring to God and dangerous for us than love to God which is only half-hearted. 
Few things are more dishonoring to God and dangerous for us than love to God which is only half-hearted. He will not stand for that. And that's pretty much the first half of the book. But it's pretty powerful that it talks and talks and talks about the judgment. It talks about the last days. And all of a sudden, it's no longer for them the last days. You know, I was saying earlier, there are myriad signs out there that it's the end times. Am I, am I not right about that? I'm right about that. But the Antichrist has not been revealed. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, that's kind of like the whole card or something. I don't know, you know. The Antichrist has not been revealed. There have been lots of Antichrists throughout history that have been revealed, but not the Antichrist. And that one is not going to be able to rise up at all until God allows it. That one can't do anything that God won't let it do. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're not going to reveal his address, you know, location, or date of birth, or any of that till it springs upon the world. All right? So do you understand how we can come close to the last days being the last days over and over and over again? But if God's people repent. But the Word of God makes it clear that there's going to come a day that, and all of this, I believe, is in preparation for the body of Christ for His return. All of it. Amen? You know? Listen, we can't play around with this thing. I mean, God, I mean, Jesus himself said there were two people working in the field. One will be taken, one's going to be left behind. If that doesn't put knots in your gut, I don't know what will. You're twice dead and plucked up by the roots if that doesn't move you. Amen? You need to be moved by that. You need to be motivated by that. We all need to be. I need to be motivated by that. You know, that big movie picture that's out there about the rapture of the church taking place. Did any of you notice? Was I the only one that noticed the pastor of the church got left behind? Went, whoa, 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 wait a minute. The pastor of the church got left behind. You think I take that for granted? Mm. Now watch this with me. The next part of this I titled The Coming Day of Judgment and Blessing. It basically says the Lord judges the nations. Now, think about that. That title's accurate over, over chapter 3 in Joel. It says the Lord judges the nations. Now, notice that everything's changed now. God's attention is lifted from His people. They're in a place of restoration now. Notice that the end days for them has been postponed. It's been changed. It was the last days, now it's not the last days for God's chosen people in this particular first half of the book of Joel. Do you understand that? Do you understand that if we do what God tells us to do, He may or may not be coming back in the next year or whatever. You understand what I'm saying? But I believe that it is nondescript between God and the Son because it doesn't have to be a certain date. It doesn't have to be a certain time. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Am I twisting the word? No, I'm not twisting the word. The whole first half of the book of Joel, which Acts refers back to about our subject matter expert material on the last days is the book of Joel. The first half deals with God's people. Things were a mess. 
They were under judgment. Locusts were eating everything, were destroying the world they inhabited, and they would not be able to inhabit it much longer had the locusts kept eating. Are you hearing me? And then all of a sudden, God tells them, repent. And, and, and I might, and he did. They repented, they fasted, they mourned, they prayed, and he said, don't rend your garments, rend your heart. And it was no longer the last days for them. But then in the second half of Joel, God describes through the prophet how he's going to deal with the world in the last days. All right, how do I know this? Uh, chapter 3, verse 1. For behold, in those days and at that time when I restore the fortunes of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather the nations and bring them down to the valley of Jehoshaphat. And I will enter into judgment with them there on behalf of my people and my heritage Israel because they have scattered them among the nations and have divided up my land. Pretty powerful stuff. So the first half of Joel's book, he had said that the day of the Lord was near in chapter 1 verse 15. In chapter 2, verse 1. In chapter 2, verse 11. But then God repented and the final judgment did not fall. What becomes of it? Evidently, it was near, not in the sense that it had to happen soon, but in the sense that it was on the brink of happening. Do you understand what I'm saying? We're living on the brink of it happening. I have no doubt of that. Evidently, it was near, not in the sense that it had to happen soon, but in the sense that it was on the brink of happening. Conditions were ripe for it. The mass troops, the locusts, were just across the border. The trumpet was on the lips when the commander raised his hand and made peace with his rebellious people. But now, now, what is the promised day? In the second half of the book, Joel lifts his eyes to the future and inspired by the Spirit, predicts the events that will precede the day of the Lord. Sometime in the future, Joel sees a time overflowing, listen to this, with spiritual blessing beyond the prosperity which God provided after the locust plague. But this benefit applies only to those who call on the name of the Lord. How do I know that? Look, look at verse 28 with me of chapter 2 before we move forward. And it shall come to pass, what does it say? And it shall come to pass afterward. So it's after all these changes. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. And your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and the female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit. You know, that, this is why you get in trouble trying to predict when the rapture is going to take place. Some of these things overlap. And God has, I checked the mail, God hadn't sent anything to me, <laughs> you know, uh, about that date. I, I know that in my lifetime alone, people have set dates for Christ's return about a half a dozen different times that I'm aware of. And the dates came and they went. This isn't a message about Pastor Dennis helping you so that you can whip out your day planner and write down, hey, this is the day Pastor Dennis said God's going to return. Verse 30, And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon to blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I can't get over the fact that there are people out there that just don't pray. 
They don't talk to God. That, that's how you call on the name of the Lord. Can you say amen? For in Mount Zion in Jerusalem there shall be those who escape as the Lord has said, and among the survivors shall be those whom the Lord calls. You know what we're going to do? We're going to stop right there. That, that basically brings us through the first half of Job. But do you understand the point of this today? Don't, don't be thinking to yourself that everything's etched in stone for now on our calendar in our lifetime that Jesus is going to come back. But he may. He could and you should be ready. And when he's coming back, that part of it, that date, is none of your business because Jesus said it's not even my business. It's Father's business. And how much, are we smarter than Jesus? Are we better than Jesus? No. But yet there have been people arrogant enough in this lifetime to set a date. There were people that said the world was going to end because the Mayan calendar ran out. They had the Mayan calendar and it ran perfect up to a certain year and then it stopped. And I'm going to tell you, I, I will, I'll be boldly standing here predicting or telling you this. There's a reason why that calendar stopped when it did. They stopped working on it when they did because there was no more Mayans or Incas left to work on it. Do you know that they were some of the most evil and vile people to ever live on this planet? They sacrificed their children on altars alive to their gods. They killed them on altars to sacrifice them and burn them to their gods. Until God one day said, you'll not breathe another breath on this planet. And to this day, they can't exactly tell you where the Incas and the Mayans went. But I'm telling you, judgment fell on them. Now, you can eat the meat, spit out the bones, you don't have to believe that. But their calendar was percolating fine until one day, boom, there wasn't nobody left to work on it. There wasn't no Mayans left to work on that calendar. You understand that? God brought them to a halt. He brought them to an end. And if we don't learn anything, we should learn this. One of the messages that did come out of my mouth and moved back and forth in this pulpit for you is this. It moved from, you know, we're saying, well, yeah, Jesus is coming back soon. He's just got to be, got to be coming back soon, right? If you approach it with logic, you think, well, look at all these signs, right? But not all of them have been fulfilled, number one. And number two, just like the chosen people of God in the book of Joel, judgment was coming on them. And you can't tell me judgment didn't fall on the church in this world in the last 12 months. Am I right or wrong? And, and it wasn't until lately you've got remnants of churches. This isn't a great big mega church. Amen? I don't have to tell you that, do I? Though I do believe with all of my heart, God's going to raise up churches because people are going to be looking for people and pastors that tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth about the Word of God, right? And there are going to be places that God's going to raise up where people can come and they can repent. Their lives can change. They can be discipled in the Word. Amen? And rend their hearts, not their clothes. Rend their hearts. Let God give them a heart of flesh over a heart of stone. Amen? And I'm telling you, the revival that's going to happen in the last days is going to be the likes of which you've never seen in your life. Think about this with me. You know, it says, Peter said, the Spirit of God will be poured out on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will what? They'll prophesy. Young men have dreams. or Old men will have dreams. Visions. All. 
I'm going to tell you, the, the real McCoy of that, I don't care what you say, it's become very sparse in this world. I mean, we got a big, huge taste of it when God allowed all these so-called prophets in the world to make fools out of themselves recently. You get my drift? Because all of them were saying the same thing. And, and then reality hit. And all of them were wrong. And that's okay. It, how many of you know it's okay for God to give revelation about something's messed up? Amen? But when you see the day that the real McCoy's out there, amen, and the Holy Spirit's being poured out again, and listen, I'm telling you, God's telling me soon, 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 I want you to teach on the Holy Ghost from the Word and get the people ready. And when God cuts me loose, we're going to do that, all right? And we're going to get ready. Doesn't matter what happens in this world, that we're ready to go when the time comes and when the real last days get here. Amen? The church just needs to cruise into obedience to God. Amen? Put Him first. Let Him do whatever He wants to do. Amen? You love Him? Stand up with me then. We'll, we'll pick up on this, and I'm going to try to smooth this out a little bit and, and, and stick with the concrete evidence here so that I don't confuse anybody. All I'm trying to tell you is that the Word of God, I believe, shows us that We've been in the last days for 2,000 years and there are peaks and valleys. Peaks and valleys. You get my drift? You copy that with me? Are you following that with me? And that whenever it's time, we need to be ready. We need to be listening to God. We need to be doing what He tells us to do. Amen? And if you're along with somebody someday and, and you realize to yourself the rapture could happen any minute, you go, wow, I wonder what that person's going to do because I'm leaving. <laughs> Amen? You know, I'm leaving. And you know, when about a billion people or whatever the number is, I just pulled that out of the air, uh, leave. And, and you know what? It's going to be a whole lot more than a billion because the dead in Christ shall rise first, right? And then those that are living are ready will be caught up in the air. And that's enough said about the rapture. We overfocus on the rapture. What we need to focus on is God now. Amen? Being number one. Father, in Jesus' name, I want to thank you, Lord, for all the good that you're doing in our lives for all the truth that you're speaking within us, how you're getting us ready genuinely for the last days. Father, we just want to be obedient to you. We want to be ready. We want to be obeying you. We want to be following your commands. We want to be going into all the world and making disciples. Make disciples of us in this place, we pray. According to your word, forgive us for our sins and shortcomings, Lord, as we repent and learn to live repentant lifestyles. Cover us again, Father. With the shed blood of Jesus Christ, cleanse us afresh and anew, we pray. And we thank you for the Lamb's book of life. We want to thank you in faith for our names recorded there, Father. Thank you for teaching us, Father, that there's a certain response that needs to happen by the church whenever you come against the church because it has given half-hearted allegiance to you. How dangerous, Father, that is. Lord, we want to be pleasing to you in all we say and do. Go with us as we depart from this place today. Uh, let everyone in this room know they're loved and cared for, I pray, by a special touch of your Spirit. Help us not to be afraid, Father, but help us to be bold in your Word and in your Spirit. Receive all that you have for us. Thanks for helping us get ready, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Fellowship together before you leave.